Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Thank you, Pastor Phil. Been great to be here with you. Been great this morning to be with Phil and Emma and meet the elders and all the folk here. God's doing great things in this church, isn't he? And I'm sure he's going to do great things in the days that lie ahead. I want to speak this afternoon on being positioned. How many people want to be positioned where God can bless them best? Because that is important, you know. Years ago, I was taking, I was going to preach at a place similar to this, and I thought I need to get my car washed, and I drew, I was running a bit tight on time, but I thought I've probably got time to have the car washed. And I pulled in behind this car that was just in front of me, and I thought, well, it's going to take, what, 15 minutes max. I noticed a load of people coming in behind me. That's not a problem because, I've, you know, I'm in front. Anyway, the guy in front, he had no idea how to operate the car wash. He just did not know how to do it. Um, sometimes you put a token in, sometimes you put a code in. And then there's one where you drive up, and when you've paid the money, as soon as your front wheel touches the bar, it kicks it in, and it works. And he thought it was that, and it wasn't. So he was going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. I thought, goodness me, how long is it going to be? You know, uh, you know, people behind me, I could see the knuckles are white on the steering wheel. And I'm sitting there singing praise choruses. No, I'm not. I think, well, how long is this going to take? I thought, if I get out now and help him, which he needs help, as soon as I get out, the thing will come on and I'm going to get soaked. So what are we going to do? So I've got to help him. Just about to get out, he gets out, he comes to me. He says, I'm sorry for all the confusion I'm causing. I said, I don't know how to work this. He said, the problem is I'm just trying to get in the right place. Now, that was the biggest sermon of the day, I would thought. He was just trying to get in the right place. And there's something that we get ourselves so positioned that even in the situations in our homes, our work, we think, why is God allowing this to happen to me? If we're seeking to be a man or woman of God, then being even in a difficult time in God's purpose is being in the right place. And I want to mention three, possibly three, but mostly, possibly four, but mostly three women. Isn't it good sometimes we always have to have these great messages of faith on men that the women listen to? How many people, how many people believe there might be some women of God in the place today? I'm looking out. Isn't that right? So we're going to look at women, and we're going to look at some of the women that, some of them that the Bible doesn't even give them a name but they are the most powerful illustrations of being rightly positioned. Now, I'm going to mention this. There was a situation in this country. Now, when I'm going to tell these stories, you'll think these aren't in the Bible, but I'm, I, there's no poetic license, preaching license. It, it's all there when I'm telling this. Ruler decided that he had an immigration problem and he wanted to solve it. He's an evil man, and he decided what we do is we kill all, this is how we solve the problem. We kill every baby, male baby that's born. We kill every male baby and they'll cut the numbers down. And so that's what he said to all the midwives. He said, now I want you to make sure that when you're delivering a baby and it's a girl, you let it live, it's a boy, you kill it. Throw it in the river, throw it in the Nile, do what you want, but kill it. And only the girls can live. There are two midwives who are got a baby in front of them because it's just been delivered from a woman called Jochebed. Not a major name in the Bible, is she, Jochebed? Not many people know who she is. Husband was called Amram. Uh, 
and she was called Jochebed. She'd been pregnant, obviously, for nine months, and people in the village would wonder, well, I wonder if it's a boy, I wonder if it's a girl, because if it's a girl, there's going to be happiness. If it's a boy, there's going to be terrible sadness, because she's going to lose the child. And eventually, she goes out to the midwives, and they find it's a boy. These women, his names, I bet hardly anybody would know these names. And frankly, if I hadn't got prepared this message for you today, I wouldn't probably have known these names either. Shipra and Pure. Those are big names, aren't they? No one's heard of them. Shipper and Pure have to make a decision. Do we obey the leader, the ruler of the country, or do we obey God? And they weren't even God-fearers, as we would understand, but they felt that this was wrong, and they decided that in spite it would mean that they would be killed if it was found out. They would let this baby live. And they delivered this boy, this baby boy. They hand him over to the mother. She first of all wants to know, I'm sure, is it a boy or a girl? She sees it's a boy and she thinks, why have they allowed this boy to live? But now, how many people know mums who are here? How do you keep a newborn baby quiet for months without the neighbours knowing? It's impossible. And what has happened? People are saying, did you have the baby? Was it a boy or a girl? They're all asking these questions, I'm sure. And she's just having to keep the baby quiet. And it was getting difficult. Months went by, the Bible says, and she thinks, I'm not going to... People are asking about the baby crying. I can't keep this a secret. The police are going to come around the house. They're going to kill my son. And I've just got to just hand this baby over to God. And the baby was called Moses. It hadn't got a name then, but it was called Moses later. And so she goes to the Nile and she says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to make a little basket. I'm going to put this... I'm going to put my baby in there, a few months old, and I'm going to push it out into the Nile, and I just have to pray, because as long as it stays in this country, in this area, it's got no chance. I just pray that it floats away, God undertakes, and it's going to be all right. I've just got to trust God. I'll never see the boy again as long as I live. I don't know whether it'll live or whether it'll die. I don't know if we'll survive its abandonment, but I've got to do it. Can I say before I go any further about this, that there may be... There may be in the meeting today, mums and dads, and you've got children away from God. They may not yet be saved, or they may have made a decision and are not going on with God. God doesn't want you to stop praying. God doesn't want to stop being concerned. But there is a time in your life where you've just got to say, Lord, I hand my child over to you. I just release this to you because, you know, I'm just not going to, I'm going to have sleepless nights all every night. I just got, I mean, you imagine mothers here, uh, you know, you're kneeling there while you've got your hands around that little wicker basket that's been waterproofed. The Bible's that she'd waterproofed it with kind of a tar thing there. She's got total control, but when she pushes it away, that's the end of control. It's the end of all control. And she had to make the decision to hand the situation. Maybe not a baby, maybe not a son, maybe not a daughter, maybe a situation. And it's causing you trouble. It might be within your business, it might be within your work life. You say, God, I'm, this is keeping me awake at night. There's a point where you just got to hand it over to God. The Bible says, cast all your care upon him. And when you cast something, you let it go from you and you let it go into the future, believing that God is in control. And there's a place for that. And I just want to just, not in the message today, but it's important. And so she does this. And she just pushes this thing away. I I bet she was crying her heart out. Um, She's got a daughter there, Miriam, who is close by its side there. And they're absolutely brokenhearted. Round the bend in the river is another woman. This is all about women. 
This woman is the daughter of the man who's made the decision to kill the babies. And she's doing a very ordinary thing. She's going out to have a wash. They didn't have on sweets and all that stuff. And so she would go out and she'd actually go into the river. And so she was bathing. It was like a daily duty. Do you know, God can meet us in the most ordinary things in our life. God can make extraordinary things happen in ordinariness. Now, we Pentecostals, you know, and Charismatics, we love the great... You know, great testimonies, you know, I was in this situation, now I'm in that situation. I was blind, now I see. I was unsaved, now I'm not saved. But I want to say something here. I want to say something here. When the man was healed at the gate, beautiful, he went walking, leaping, and praising God. Do you remember that? Now, we always give testimony up here about the leaps. You know, I was there, now I'm here. But, you know, if you get from A to B, some of us, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're not leaping through the week in faith. We're just walking, honest, obedience to God, in the ordinariness of work, studying at college, university, school. We're just going on in day-to-day faithfulness. And I want to know, God blesses the walking as well as the leaping. And so if you're not getting extravagant things happening every five minutes, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you or you're not being used. It means you're being consistently faithful. And so the princess is now doing a very ordinary thing. And she's, having a, she's bathing. Then she noticed that the, this thing had got caught up in the bulrushes. Now, people are not sure. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say whether she'd wanted it to go to the other side of the river to be safe. And it had got caught up in the, river, in the bulrushes. Or whether she wanted to hide it for a while. I don't, we don't know. It's probably the first thing, actually. But we don't know for sure. But she said to her servants, these other girls, find out what that thing is over there. There's something there in the water. So they wade out. They bring it in. When they get there, they find it's a baby. She sees it's a baby boy. It's, an, you know, it's not old. She realizes her father's made a decision. Now two women have made a godly decision. Shipper and Pure, the midwives. Now, right at the other end of the scale, right at the other end of the social spectrum, here is the princess. Do I obey my father or not? So I obey my father. I've got to hand this baby in and the baby dies. But she had to make a decision, positioned in that moment, and had to believe that it was the right one. She made a righteous decision. And the baby lived. And of course, when she looked at that baby, she would have no idea. In fact, she would be dead 80 years later when he took 2 million people out of slavery. She probably would have been dead. She just thought it was an ordinary thing. It's just an ordinary thing, an ordinary baby. It's a slave's baby. Should have worked that one out, obviously, because she could see it was a slave's baby. It was an ordinary thing. But God knew there was destiny on that child who would lead two million people out of slavery. You know, we can always count the number of seeds in an apple, but we can never know the number of apples in a seed. We can never know the number of apples in a seed. And some of the things that you're doing, you can get very easily discouraged. Very easily discouraged. I'm coming to witness him. I'm talking to Christians for a moment now. I'm particularly talking to Christians. We can, get in, we can get discouraged in our witnessing because, you know, we've been witnessing, praying, talking to people for ages. They're not getting saved. And we think we're only making some great step forward when we see people saved. But there's a thing called the Engel Scale. Have you ever heard of the Engel Scale? The Engel Scale is a great encouragement to those of you witnessing. Now... 
For example, let me give you a couple of examples. I'm re- I'm, I've said this morning, very down to earth. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Is it all right? Yeah. As it is, right? Then we think we want to see... Now, Easter Sunday morning, where I was I preaching? I was preaching in Liverpool, right by the Anfield Stadium, the football stadium, in a great church there. At the end of the meeting, it was evangelistic, so they asked me to go and preach the gospel. People were invited to bring their, especially bring their friends to the meeting, and there was people saved, and they all came out the front. That was wonderful. And uh, I, I, they, then they went off to rooms at the side where they would be counselled, and that was wonderful too. I didn't know any of these people. Like today, I'm a visitor, so I didn't know anybody. And I saw this young lady come out. I, I guess she's in her 20s, early 20s. Her face was radiant as she came out of the room. Afterwards, with a cup of tea at the end, they told me, you know, we've been praying for this young lady for years. When she came to church, she was a troublemaker. In fact, she did, tried to destroy the place. She was completely out of control. People in the church have been patient with her for years. Uh, they've encouraged her. They've forgiven her. Uh, she's never made a decision for Christ. Today, people have been fasting and praying that she would get saved. Today, she got saved. Now, here's the thing. When we get to heaven, who will get the reward for her salvation? I want to tell you, it won't be the preacher. It was the people who, week after week, were patient in the day-to-day walk with this girl over time. And they will get the reward for seeing that person come to Christ. You see, the angle scale is this. Right at the bottom of the scale, you have militant atheist right at the top of the scale you've got massively on fire for jesus in the middle of the scale you've got born again right so there's a massive leap from one to the other but nobody usually makes that leap from i don't think anybody's ever made the leap from militant atheist right right to be saved leap to that but not leap to be the apostle paul in one day Um, And what happens is, when we witness, unless we see people as we're talking to them, I was the last link in a chain. And and I am every every week, every time I preach. And what happens is, we think, well, how many got saved today? How many became a Christian? The point is, if you can share your faith at work and get somebody from being a militant atheist to being open to the gospel, you've done a great work in the kingdom of heaven. You've moved them. Are you following me? Don't be discouraged if you haven't seen people come through all the time because you're moving them up. We live in a small Cotswold village. Two gay men living together in the situation. I spend a lot of time with non-Christian people. Uh, My wife and I wonder if we spend more time with non-Christian people than we do with Christians, to be honest. But um, we we do spend time. And sometimes we'll go out and have uh, a night together with our neighbours and our friends. Somebody said to me when these gay men, and not realizing that I would have a problem at all, I mean, would I give them a lift to this thing? And I thought, General Superintendent Levine, and giving a lift to two gay men to a party. And I said, What would Jesus do? See, Jesus loves us, whoever we are. When the Bible says God so loved the world, he didn't say love the Pentecostal world, the Christian world. He loves the world, he loves everybody. He, he may not love what we do, but he loves everybody. So anyway, I take these guys to this thing, because they knew that we were going to be all right driving on the way home. <laughs> and uh, I talked to them. I made a conscious decision with all of my, that I would spend more time with them than anybody else that night. I went back and I went onto Facebook and I thought, see if I can find something out about these people who wounded my village. Couldn't believe the website. It was vile. It was against the, 
anything against Christians. If we said the things about them that they said about Christians, he used to have apparently had parties and they all dressed up as Jesus. It was unbelievable. From that day, we haven't yet seen him saved, them saved. From that day, there were no more postings like that. He moved up the scale. And we have a place to play. So I want you to be encouraged when we're trying to reach people for Christ, be encouraged by the movement towards Jesus, not just them being saved. You know, some of you know the story of, and I must go back to this in a moment. I'm just, I, when the Lord says to share something, I just share it, right? And I, that, all of that, what I've told you, isn't in my notes uh, at all. But that might be some encouragement to somebody today just to, to hear that. Mordecai Ham, that's the name of a preacher, isn't it? Mordecai Ham, evangelist, had a crusade. They reporter said at the end of it, big auditorium, handful of people at the front. He must be very disappointed, and he was. He went back to his hotel discouraged, so few people had got saved. One of the young men at the front was Billy Graham. You see, it's the number of seeds, not the number of seeds in an apple, the number of apples in a seed. So in the ordinariness, that's where God meets us. So here's a woman doing an ordinary thing. She, she, and then not, it doesn't end there. For Jochebed, Moses' mother, she said, can you find someone to be a nursemaid? Because I can't take her back to the palace. She's going to die. She takes back to the She finds, before she goes back to the palace, a nursemaid. And she makes the mother, who surrendered the child to God, the nursemaid of her own son. See, positioned in obedience to the purpose of God. Let's move from a princess to another young teenage girl. She's out there in the town with her parents, just a normal day. Palestinian terrorists come down on horseback and they drive through the village, through the town. They're killing people, burning houses. As they go by, they see this teenage girl. They get hold of her and they rip her from her parents and put her on the horse and run off with her. Anybody from Nigeria here? Some people, Boko Haram, you know that story of all those 200 girls who were abducted, the pain of the parents, what's happening to my girls, what's taking place? And they take her away. And she must be screaming and crying. But Thank God she was not abused. In fact, she was made a slave, but she wasn't in any way abused physically or any other way. She's actually in the house of the Palestinian leader as a servant to his wife. She's just looking after his wife, and she's, but she's still a slave. One day, she's probably upstairs in the bedroom. She overhears the conversation. She shouldn't have been listening, but she hears her master telling her mistress, I think I'm going to die. You see, if I'm in the shower and I find a lump where it shouldn't be, then we think, oh, goodness me, what could that be? It wasn't lumps they looked for in those days. It was rashes because the killer was leprosy. And he was a leper. And she said, I've had, you have all the best doctors. I've had everybody out. I've got everybody out. No one could help me. I can cover it up with my expensive clothes as the commander of the army. But, you know, I can cover up for so long, but I'm going to die of leprosy. He said, it's the end. And she's listening. I want to tell you, I'm going to be very honest here. If you had been taken from your parents and you hear the man responsible for the death of your parents, uh, for, for your captivity and the pain of your parents has got a terminal illness, somebody would be jumping up and down saying there is a God in heaven. Justice. I hope he dies slowly. Yeah. 
Some people would do that. I can understand it. I can understand it. Look, she's away from all her friends, away from her family. She makes a courageous decision. You know, most decisions you're going to make for your future are going to be courageous ones. They're going to be courageous ones. If they're tipping point moments, they're going to be courageous ones. It was courageous for the princess to make that decision. It was courageous for the midwives to make that decision. It was courageous for Moses' mother to make the decision to release somebody into the hands of God. But she made the decision. And she was now at a point, we don't even know her name. She'd be staggered that all these years later, 2,700 years later, here in Cambridge, we'd be talking about an unnamed teenage girl. See, the courageous decision that you make, that no one ever may know about. She was upstairs on her own in the landing. No, she didn't ever think what we'd be talking about her today. You see, in heaven, God's got choices and destinies for your life and others. The people that we're interacting with, where we're positioned. And she makes a decision. I am not going to act like that. It could be that God has put me here for a purpose. It could be that the pain of my parents are going through. The separation I'm going through is part of the purpose of God. And so I am going to do what God wants me to do at this moment. And she says, I could be in real trouble for listening, but I've listened. And she said, you know, I want to tell you there is a God in Israel. And you know the end of that story. Naaman is healed because of her faithfulness. Ah, it was the prophet who, who told him to go down to the river and watch seven times. Yes, it was. It was the big name, again, that was there. But at the end of the day, do you know what? It was the faithfulness of a teenage girl slave who was positioned in God's purpose. Finally, let's go to a place, because we're just going to just talk a little bit more about how important it is to be positioned and to be ready to receive before we finish in a little while. Here we've got the Apostle Paul. You say, oh, you're talking about men again. No, well, I just mentioned him in passing. Apostle Paul is praying about where he should preach next. Now, if you want an evangelist to come in, you've got loads of evangelists who can choose to come to Cambridge. But in Bible days, there was only one primary pioneer evangelist, and that was the Apostle Paul. It was vital he was in the right place at the right time. He's on the way to what we today would call Russia, and the Holy Spirit stops him and says, don't go to Russia. Don't go and preach the gospel in Russia. I don't want you there. So he, so he stops. Not very often you hear the Holy Spirit stopping somebody preaching. So he goes now and he's making his way to what we today would call Turkey. All the names are in the Bible there in, in, in the book of Acts. And he, so he's on the way. It's uh, Acts 16. This. He's on the way to Turkey and the Holy Spirit says, I don't want you to go to Turkey. Nobody at that time, not one person in Europe was saved. There wasn't one Christian in Europe that was saved at this time. And so in a dream, he sees a man saying, come over to Europe or come over to Macedonia. That was the part of Europe. Come over to Macedonia and help us. So he says, wow, this must be God. I'll go to Europe, what we call Europe. So he goes to Macedonia, wanting to meet this man. Where on earth do you find? Where on earth do you find this person? I remember a pastor's wife coming to me. I used to plant churches in Scotland I just planted some, uh, a church in Perth, finished there and passed it on to a young pastor to look, a younger pastor to look after. I was a younger myself in those days as well. And uh, I was praying about where I'd go next and the pastor's wife came to me and said, God spoken to me and said, um, I just saw these people, sorry, I just finished in Livingston. Uh, 
She said, I saw these people in Perth who said, we need a shepherd. We're six people looking for a shepherd. So I said, well, you know, that's a great idea, but, you know, how do I find these people? A bit like the Apostle Paul. How do I find where I should be in Macedonia, in Holy Europe, but particularly Macedonia? So I put a, an advert in the Perth Advertiser, and I said, you know, churches, in my case it was Elim churches, are open around, and if you're interested in a Pentecostal church being opened in your town, if there isn't one, contact this number. Nobody contacted me. Six months later, I get a call from a woman called Elizabeth. She said, I saw your advert six months ago, and I, I kept it. I want to phone up and talk to you because there are six of us looking for a shepherd. And today there is an Elim church there, Pentecostal church in Perth, because one lady, one of the shyest pastor's wives I've ever met in my life, was courageous enough to say to me, God has given me a vision. And if she goes to that town, or that city now, there's a church because she was faithful, she was positioned to share something. So the Bible says Paul gets to Macedonia. He said, where am I going to find? Where, where, why am I here? And the Bible says, he, in Acts 16, he says he went down to a river. It says we went to, on the Sabbath day, which would be a Saturday with them. On a Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Well, there were no Christians in the whole of Europe. So why would they find, expect to find a place of prayer? Well, when anybody moved out of Israel or any Jewish people, and they were obviously um, immigrants and they went into an area to work or anything, uh, they wanted to start a synagogue. But you couldn't start a synagogue legally, according to the Jewish law, unless you had 12 men. So you started what we'd call a cell group, and you always met, the cell group would always meet by a river. And the reason why they met by a river is if the synagogue is built, there's all these purification uh, things they have to do in the synagogue. Are you following me? And so therefore, they needed to have somewhere where there was running water. And so if there is a group of people who've come from Israel and, they want, and they're following the Jewish faith and they've not heard about Jesus yet, but they'll be by a river. When they get there, there are six women. Six women. No man. The man from Macedonia did not exist. If a woman had appeared to him in a dream, he may not have thought it was from God. I don't know. But there wasn't one single man there. And so he meets these women. Now, what am I saying? What's the importance of this now? I don't know how many come to your prayer meeting in this church. But I'll tell you this now. It will not be as big as a Sunday service. Never is in any church. Some people have small prayer meetings, house groups prayer meetings. They say, what is the purpose with all the horrors that are going on TV, with all the things that are taking place in Parliament, with all the terrible laws that are being passed by our government, what is the purpose of six people praying? Six people positioned faithfully could turn the only main apostolic pioneer evangelist from going into one continent to come into their country because they were positioned. They were positioned. See, some people say, well, you know, it doesn't matter what church I go to. I could go to this church. If I don't like it there, I could go to that church. Well, I suppose you can. You can go around places. Spurgeon said this. He says, if you, take, if you plant a fruit tree in your garden and relocate it every month, you will not need a very big basket to put the fruit in at the end of the season. 
Because we need a place to say, I am where God has planted me. I'm going to grow in this place. I'm going to get my roots down. I'm going to come under the authority and the covering of its leadership. I'm going to get myself down. And I want to tell you, you're having a great time in these days from what I can pick up in the church. Just my own feeling. It's a great place to be. But every church has its seasons. It has its spring times, its summers, its autumns. It has its difficulties. When you get planted, you will be there through every season of its life. Because it will be there for you in every season of your life. I just have a word to say to you here right now. You know, if, you've look, if, you, if you're in a day and you're looking for somewhere to make your spiritual home, this message could be a pointer that this is where you need to be planted. If you are a part of this house and part of this fellowship, you know, and in any church, everything doesn't happen exactly as we like it all the time. Can't do, because we're all different people, aren't we? But I want to tell you, get your roots down, because when you get your roots down into the house, that is where you're going to receive the best blessings. They asked me in the, on the audio desk, you know, I did I have a, a text I was going to read? And I, I said, I do have a text I will read, but it will be near the, near the end of the message. And this is where we're going to go. And in Psalm 1, it says in Psalm 1 these words, the person, this is a definition of the spiritual man or woman of God. It says, they are like a tree planted, but someone say planted. Planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. I looked at the word planted. I'm not one of these people who've studied Hebrew and Greek and that kind of thing. I've been to Bible college and stuff, but I'm not a big theologian or anything like that. So like most pastors, I would look up in an interlinear Bible or something like that, a concordance, what is the meaning of the word planted. And the word planted in Psalm 1 means replanted. Replanted. In other words, planted with a purpose. I say I live in the countryside and most of the trees that in the fields have indiscriminately appeared there. This is what happens. Bird eats some seeds, flies over an area, drops you know, the contents of its stomach down with the seed into the ground and a tree springs forth. That is not the word that's here. It doesn't say Christians are just by a river indiscriminately and they get their... Fr- the Bible says that tree in Psalm 1 was taken from where it shouldn't be to a place where it was going to get the best refreshing, the place where it would get the best resource, and it would flourish because it was positioned properly. I could be talking to people and not in the best marriage in the world. You say, you know, I wonder if I made a mistake. All those years ago, I said for better or for worse, but I didn't know how worse worse would be. Eyes could even be straying elsewhere. If you're a Christian, you made vows, and I want to tell you, God has planted you for purpose where you are so that you might flourish. Just get it sorted, get counsel, get advice, get input, get closer to Jesus, get closer to one another, work at it, but you've been planted where you are. You say, oh, some people, you know, they live in such lovely areas of the town of Cambridge, and you know, I don't live in the best area, and I wish I could move. How be it that God might say, you're planted where you've been planted? I have a young man. Uh, who uh, one of my pastors or was one of my pastors and uh, he was have you heard the word chav chav you understand chav 
Well, he was brought up in, a, in an estate where people hadn't worked for generations. And they called themselves chavs. You know, they dressed like chavs. They had bulldogs with studded necks and all this kind of thing. And, you know, that's what he grew up in. And, and that's how he was. And he got saved. And, of course, when you get saved, then you're not wasting money. You're not betting it away. You're not smoking it away. You're not drinking it away. And so there's more, and the temptation could be, well, I can move now into a better area. He said, wait a minute, these are my people. These are my people. And if I move, if salt and light moves away, it means where they've moved from becomes dark. Yeah. And he said, I love my roots. I love who my people are. I love, the, I love the, my neighbors. I love them. And so he's planted. He's a pastor. And he and his wife have planted what they call Chaff Church. And you can get a book about it on the Amazon, Chaff Church. Um, and he's just doing an amazing thing. He's planted a couple of churches out of it already. In other words, he realized this is where God has placed me. And my role in life is not to go into a better situation all the time. My role in life is to be faithful to who I am, where I am, and to blossom for God. The Bible says this of Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful vine near a well whose branches run out over the wall. Joseph is a fruitful vine near a well whose branches run out alone. What can happen? And I'm going to come back. I'm closing in a minute with this, coming back to this thing in Europe. Find the first convert in Europe is a woman. We'll come to her in a second. Joseph is a fruitful vine near a well. Vineyards have walls around them, but not to keep thieves out because nobody cares if somebody takes a couple of grapes. The, vine, the vineyard wall goes to about this height, Probably that max, it just delineates where the man's land begins and the, where the man, man, man land ends. It's not to keep people out. And the vines are all cut to the same level so that the people who are taking the, the grapes off for the wine, they can not have to reach too high or stoop too low. So it's all done as it is today. It's just done in the same way. But Joseph, the Bible says, spiritually was not standard, average, and ordinary. Because there's one thing different about him as a vine, spiritually, is that he had his roots in a well. He was planted for purpose in the place that God could bless him best. This is when he got his roots down and deep, he was able to flourish and go beyond the boundaries of the ordinary. You know, I spoke this morning about, you know, if we are going, as a people of God, to reach the nation and to reach the cities... We have to have more in our life, in our spiritual growth, than just having enough anointing for our own lives. We need to have to live in the overflow. We have to live in the abundance. We have to go beyond. And if you're going to, if this is going to be a vine, if this church is going to be a vine that's going to go over the wall into the city, into the schools, into industry, into the arts, and into media, if it's going to happen like that, it has to have a strong well where it is planted. It has to say, this is my source. Ultimately, of course, Jesus is our source. But fellowship of the local of the church is also our source. And I can't stress how important it is to get planted, get committed into the house. Don't be a spectator in church. You know, and sit and say, well, was the music too loud or too soft? Um, did the pastor preach too long or too short? Listen, friends, see this as a, as a well to get planted into, to get fed from, so that you might go out to do exploits for God. 
So he says, well, I've only got six people. There's only six people here. You see, when the blessing of God and the purposes of God is there, God does miracles in that small group. You know, I should, this happens to me when I'm preaching, when the, the Lord just gave me another word to say. I was with, about a month ago, a meeting, a meal, with a billionaire. He's got over a thousand million pounds. And God met with him powerfully. He had a brain tumor. He was a relatively young man when this happened. He was very wealthy very early. He had a brain tumor. And this brain tumor was so crippling that many people who have this kind of brain tumor, what they do is they just commit suicide. Because the only way you can be free from the pain is just to be zonked out all the time. And so if you want to live a normal life, you just have to put with terrible pain. And he was like this. So he had all this money, a thousand million pounds or more. And um, he was in this, he, he was just in, he was going around as a young, relatively young man on a stick like this. Somebody comes to him and says, this isn't in my notes either. I'm just following what God's telling me to share. Somebody says to him, um, there's an evangelist who would like to have a big crusade and would you, he thinks this is just another preacher who wants my money to use it for his vision. She said, no, 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 it's not that. He said, he doesn't really understand about booking massive arenas and halls. He wants your expertise, I'll do that. And I think he put the money there as well. But anyway, they booked this big arena for this big crusade. Talking about God dealing with people in the ordinary, right? In the unexpected, in the walking rather than the leaping. In this big arena, the praise, great praise banner's been booked. 35 people turn up. So we've got this huge auditorium and 35 people in the praise band. There's probably more in the praise band than there was in the congregation. And he said, what do we do? Just go home? He said, we can't go home because, you know, there's 35 people have come. So let's just have a meeting. So he said to the praise, the praise band have been praying about this, praying about the meeting, and they just see 35 people. So they start to pray, play. As they play, the power of God comes down. And this man gets instantly healed. Today he's resourcing the kingdom of God and ministries. They feed four and a half thousand people in India, he and his wife every day. They've moved out. Their mansion was so big, he and his wife used to talk to one another on a mobile phone all day. (laughs) Today they live in a two-bedroomed house. They share a car between them, got all that money. And they were just transformed because they were in the presence of God. In a failure of a meeting. Are you with me? See, cover the presence of God. It's here. Cover the anointing. Cover the freedom of the spirit in the worship in this house. It's more than anything else in the world. It's more than money. It's more than anything. Other people might build the fanciest facilities around it. Nothing can beat the presence of God. Nothing can beat the anointing. Nothing can beat it. Get your roots into where the anointing is. And so here he is, and he must think, I'm in this meeting of 35 people, because I've, been, I've, left, I've left an opportunity to preach in, in, in a whole continent, and I've turned up to a prayer meeting with six women in it. Where's God in this? He just shares the gospel. The first person to be saved is a high-level fashion designer who's a woman. You say, how do we know that? Well, the Bible says she's a seller of purple. And the only people who wore purple were very rich people, royalty and celebrities. And she had a business doing that. See what we've seen today? We've looked at 
two midwives going about their business. We looked at a princess just having a wash. We looked at a mother in absolute tears, releasing her child into the, into the safety of God. We looked at a slave girl who's been abducted and was faithful. We've looked at the, one of the top fashion designers in Europe who's the first person to be get saved. Why? Because they were positioned where God wanted them to be. It's easy to say, if only my situation was better, but that's where we've been planted. That's where we are. Because a group of praying women didn't, who didn't even have a building to pray in were faithful. See, one of the things a preacher can do, especially a visiting preacher, they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. And they just talk about faith. I talked about that this morning. Uh, extending your own way. Believe all of that. But sometimes, you know, to be faithful to what God's asking you to bring is to say, don't look for a leap or an escape out of where you are. Look to flourish where God has planted you. Don't look for the leap out. Look for the faithful walk where you are. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.